Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Rico. Our hope is that today's message adds life and power to your journey as you grow. Thanks for joining us. Amen, amen. Thank you, sister. Thank you to the worship team for, for leading us tonight. Um, sometimes winds do come, right? And storms hit us. But the reason we stand today and we have withheld every single storm is because we have a firm foundation. Loving God, we thank you so much. As we come to this space, Lord, this beautiful sanctuary in nature, we are anticipating your presence. As we quiet down our minds, God, as we quiet down our hearts, we leave the to-do list down the mountain, the bills down the mountain. And we ready ourselves for you. This is an encounter with you. So Jesus, as you quiet our minds and our hearts, would you please shine in such a way today that it can be evident that we have been in the presence of a holy and beautiful God. We pray this in Jesus' name. What do we say, church? Amen, amen. Familia, it's an honor to be here with you. Um, sorry about the whole family. I'm Spanglish. It's an actual language, by the way. Spanglish is a language. Can I hear an amen? Uh, so that's, that's kind of how we do I'm going to try to keep it as, así es, amen. Uh, we're going to try to keep it as um, English as possible, but I come from a Spanglish congregation, so you'll see me kind of throw in some Spanish here and there. Familia, it's an honor to be here. It's an honor to be uh, back with Relove. Um, I believe this is my fourth time visiting you. I, I, my first time was right as you voted to become Relove, and you were still Westminster. And I remember speaking right before that, uh, during this transitional moment. And let me tell you something. I am, I am so pleased and so proud of y'all because what you did, the feat that you decided to go towards, that challenge that God placed in your, in, your, in your community was something that those of us on the outside were looking with anticipation, wondering what God was going to do. And we're grateful for your faithfulness and we're grateful for how God has blessed you and your community and let me tell you something we admire you we look up to you and as a sister church out in southern california conference let me tell you something we're taking notes we're taking notes i love the way you do ministry i love the way you do systems it's incredible the way you do systems as a church so i'm grateful for this friendship that we have you know as 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 I was contemplating tonight and this weekend, it's easy when we're in a setting like this, where it's cold and we have distractions, it's easy for us to head towards a lot of storytelling and emotion pulling. That's not my style. I'm a Bible teacher. I'm a preacher. So if it's okay with you, I want us not so much to anticipate feeling. I want us to think this weekend. Is that all right? 
I want us to think biblically. I want us to think theologically. I want us to look at scripture with a critical eye. And my hope and prayer is that we don't bypass our mind. No, that we use and engage our mind as we are worshiping the Lord in this beautiful setting. Amen. So we're going to go straight to the word. We're going to be in John chapter 21 for a passage that I'm sure some of you are already very familiar with. It's one of those passages that if you've been in, in, in church community for some time, you know about this incident, about this moment in the life of a brother by the name of Peter. This happens after the resurrection. This happens after the cross, the resurrection. Now there is, the, the, this is one of those, one of those post-resurrection moments where Jesus shows up and he starts shaking stuff up. Verse 15 in chapter 21. Now, do you all have Bibles on you? Please pull them out. If you do have them, I want you to be reading. And I see that you got a little notebook there where you can take some notes. There's going to be some key things because I know the direction that you're heading towards it as a church, as you're talking about being fortified. I know there's intention. You're going to be you're going to be dealing with some ideas, some concepts, grappling with some stuff in the inner self over the course of this weekend. And I hope and pray that what we speak on tonight speaks to the rest of your experience this weekend. I'm going to be reading in verse 15. Are you there with me? John chapter 21 verse 15 says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, what does your Bible say? Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And now he, Jesus said, tend my sheep. Now he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Now Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Then he goes into this like really strange rant. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But now that you're old, you will stretch out your, your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this, he said, speaking of the kind of death that he would die glorifying God. And after this, he told Peter, follow me. Okay, so already, 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 I want us to think critically about, about this piece of scripture. Who is the story about? <laughs> Who are we talking about? There's an exchange. Who's writing? Let, let, let's, let's go in parts. Who's writing this? John. And he's writing this about an incident between Jesus and another guy by the name of? I just heard two different names. I heard Simon Peter, I heard Peter, and I heard Simon. <laughs> Who are we talking about here? You see, what's fascinating is that John, as he's telling the story, he frames this as Jesus talking to Simon Peter, but as Jesus speaks to this man, what does he call him? Simon. Jesus calls him Simon. Later on in the story, as John is talking about, about this guy being grieved, John refers to him as Peter. Peter. Oh, I need you to follow. 
okay? I need you to follow. We're talking about Simon and Peter. But when Jesus speaks to this man, he calls him. But when John speaks about him, he calls him. By now you know that Simon's first name, his original name was Simon. And somewhere along the way, he met the Messiah, and the Messiah changed his name and changed the course of his life and turned his name Simon into the name. So Peter was his new name. Peter was his new identity. Where was Simon Peter in this story? He just spent some time on a boat fishing. He went to a boat to fish. This was after the resurrection, after Jesus already went on the cross and resurrected. He goes on a boat and watch this. Seven others follow him. Now, what was Peter's profession before he became a disciple? He was a fisherman. I need you to catch something. Peter was his new identity. Jesus said, you're no longer going to be fishing for fish. You're not going to be a fisher of men. Peter was his new identity, but here we have John uh, Peter regressing from a Peter life to a Simon life. You see, when Jesus is addressing this man, he's addressing Peter who was now living in the space that belonged to Simon. He was no longer supposed to be Simon. That boat was no longer supposed to be the platform of his life. But let's be honest, even though we're all Peters in this place, we all still have a little bit of Simon in us. And it's easy in a blink of an eye for us to regress to the space where we no longer belong. We are now Peter, but on the Friday night, on the weekend, sometimes we find ourselves in the Simon spaces. That Simon space, that boat can be a relationship that you no longer belong in. That was Peter's, uh, Simon's relationship. That job, that career, that community, that habits. That's Simon stuff. But here we have, we, we, we have Jesus with his wisdom. He's speaking to Simon because he knows, he knows. Simon, you're, Peter, you're in the wrong space. You don't belong in this place. And this is what I find fascinating. As Peter regressed from Peter's space to Simon's space, he took some people with him. And that happens, doesn't it? As we step back into old habits, as we, step, as we step back into old spaces, we have the tendency of bringing people along. Now, I love Jesus. I love what he does in this story. The Bible says that as he is finishing up breakfast, he pulls Simon Peter aside and he asks him one question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? How many times does he ask it? Three, how many times does he ask it? Who, who are we talking about? This is Jesus speaking to whom? And how many times does he ask it? Now, why, why is this significant, uh, Rico? Why is it that Jesus would have so much intentionality? Why would, he, why would he repeat himself three times with this brother by the name of Simon Peter? <laughs> you see the same guy just weeks before 
He was in a courtyard. Do you know him? No, I don't. Do you know him? No, I don't. Do you know him? No, I don't. What Jesus is doing, and he is he, he's doing what he's done for so many of us. He is giving Simon Peter the opportunity to have his story rewritten. We're going to rewrite your testimony, man. That, that denial moment is not going to be the end of your story. That's not how people are going to remember you from now on. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And notice this. This is not just this cute, uh, we're rewriting your testimony moment. What Jesus is doing for him is he is literally rewiring his brain. We're talking about neuroplasticity here. We're talking about Jesus creating new neural pathways in his brain, physically rewiring the makeup of his body with this simple question that he's repeating three times. We understand that every decision, every experience we have literally changes our brain on the spot. Our experiences, I want you to think about it this way. Think of an open field. And you go through with it with a lawnmower. There's a pathway. And then you go through with it again. There's a new pathway. And then you come back the other direction. That's a new pathway. Every experience you have is literally creating new pathways in your brain. Did you know that? Which means that today, this weekend, we're literally creating, with this experience, we're creating a new pathway in our brain. I love what Jesus does. Jesus knows that with every denial, there was a new pathway, a new pathway. Every experience, every moment of, uh, of Simon Peter was creating a new pathway. And Jesus says, we're going to take this all the way. I'm changing your brain. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? This is why. Worship is so important because it rewrites our brain. This is why communion is so important. It rewires our brain. This is why baptism is so important because as an experience, it rewires our brain. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Now, I think I talked about this the very first time I came to Relove. Let's talk about that word love for a moment. Because it's obviously significant for Jesus. Jesus asks it three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? When we look at the Greek, and I'm sure you, I'm sure you know this. You all, you all are well preached as a community. Through the years, you've had phenomenal preachers come through. I'm sure you know this, but I want to refresh your memory. When we talk about love, according to the Greek, we're talking about three different concepts of love. The first kind of love that we hardly ever even mention in these conversations is love that is known as eros love. It's where we get the word erotic. Eros, very simple, eros takes. It desires. It's the kind of love that goes kind of like a little something like this. I want you it desires to take something and it's not necessarily a bad thing it's just simply what it is eros takes are you following so far there's a second kind of love which is now uh, what we know as phileo love eros takes phileo exchanges something it's transactional it's something that 
that, that you know you are giving because you're also getting something in return. It's the kind of love that are, is exchanged among friends, among partners. It's the kind of love where you are anticipating receiving because it's a transactional kind of love. It's called phileo love. So eros takes, phileo exchanges, and then we have agape. What do you think agape does? It gives. It doesn't exchange anything and expect anything in, in return. Agape gives. It gives selflessly. Now, as we're looking at these things, eros, phileo, and agape, which do you think Jesus is asking Peter? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I want you to go back to the text. Let's go back to the text for a moment. Verse 15, this is what it says. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Which word do you think he's using there? Do you eros me? Do you phileo me or do you agape me? What do you think he's saying? Jesus is saying, Simon, do you agape me? And Simon responds, I love you. He says it a second time, do you agape me? And he responds, I love you. Do you know what Simon's responding? What Jesus is saying is, Simon, do you agape me? And Simon responds with, I phileo you. Do you love me unconditionally? I love you transactionally. My love is limited. Like your love is agape. I phileo you. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you agape me? I phileo you. Do you agape me, Simon? I phileo you. Do you agape me? He's asking, do you agape me? Do you agape me? He's asking, do you love me with the utmost kind of love, the selfless love? And, and, and Simon responds, no, Jesus, I phileo you. How many times does he ask? Three times. But notice this. There's a change that we can't perceive in the English. In the Greek, it says, do you agape me? And John re and Simon responds, I phileo you. Second time, do you agape me? I phileo you. But the third time, Jesus says, okay, Simon Peter, do you phileo me? He goes, do you agape me? I phileo you. Do you agape me? I phileo you. Okay, do you phileo me? The Bible says, at that moment, he was grieved. He's like, damn, you know everything. <laughs> you know everything. Yes, my love is transactional. My love is limited. It's not the perfect selfless kind of love. I phileo you. You know everything. Can I, can I just, can I just say something? There's something so liberating for me with that line. You know everything. You know everything. Listen to me, church. You know everything. That means you know my limits. You know my imperfections. You know my habits. You know my secrets. You know my weaknesses. You know my struggles. You know what I've done, what I'm doing, and what I will do. 
He knows. He knows, and, and with any other kind of God, that would be a terrifying thing, but we're dealing with the good God of the universe who loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not have ever, should, should, should not perish but have everlasting life. That means that that God knows you fully and still fully loves you. He knows, he knows, he knows, he knows. Hiding is pointless. He knows, he knows, he knows. And he still calls. Listen, listen to me. He knows and he still calls. Do you agape me? I filial you. Do you agape me? I phileo you. All right, do you phileo me? Yes, that's all I got. I phileo you. Now we're talking. Feed my lambs. M my, my lambs. Do you realize that he is entrusting this broken man with his lambs? Shoot, if you ain't like spotless, you're not taking my kids anywhere. If I don't know you, if you haven't had a background check, you're not getting anywhere near my kids. But this God says, I know you, you're not at phileo. You're not at agape. You're at phileo. I know you, and I'm still calling you feed my lambs. When we survey our hearts, church, when we look at our inability to love God the way God loves us, when we compare the way he agapes us with how broken and anemic our phileo is, we're like, yo, how could I possibly offer anything that is remotely enough to be used by God? I, I, I want to just remind you of one thing tonight. It is not enough. It, it is not enough. But the whole purpose of this story is Jesus telling, not just Simon Peter, but Jesus telling each and every one of us, I love your not enough. I want your not enough. I'm interested in your not enough. I can work with your not enough. You see, your, your not enough does not have to become enough for me to use it. Your not enough is exactly what I'm after. I know you're not enough. I love it and I want it and I actually can work. That's exactly the point. And I know this weekend we're talking about our strength. I know this weekend we're talking about the strength that is already within. We're walking in our strength. And I want you to sit with this idea. Your strength, listen to me carefully, we love. Your strength, our strength is found in the intersection of our not enough and God's grace. That's where our strength is. It's found in the intersection of that brokenness, of that anemic form of love, and of that imperfect kind of love. The strength that we are walking in is found in the intersection of our not enough 
and the beautiful, abundant grace of God. Otherwise, if it were any other way, Rico, if what God was after was our enough, then he wouldn't get all the glory. You see, the fact that God is after our not enough guarantees that in the end, he gets all the glory. If God was after your perfection, then you're the one with the gold star after class. You're the one that actually earned the crown of glory when you get to heaven. But God is not after you're enough. He's after you're not enough. And when you bring your not enough and you intersect it with God's grace, that becomes a strength that is unstoppable because it's for his glory. I'm ending with this. I'm ending with this. It was back in 20, no, not 2004. 2004, where God gave me the first opportunity to travel overseas to preach a full-on evangelistic series. You're talking about this 21-year-old guy at the time. Never really preached, never really done much. And I was tasked with 17 nights in a row <laughs> at a soccer stadium in the middle of Kumasi, Ghana. Outdoor. And I'm sitting there like, I, don't, I can't even like imagine how that could be possible for me to do. But I said, yes, got on a plane, went to Kumasi, and there I am, every night preaching three-hour sermons. Three-hour sermons. The kind of stuff that you would end at 45 minutes and everyone's like, that better be the intro. <laughs> we walked seven miles. <laughs> we, we walked 15 miles. That, you, better, you better be introducing the sermon. Three hours every night. Hundreds of people out listening to the gospel. I remember one night we're out there and as I'm about to make an appeal for baptism. Literally on the spot in real time, as soon as I'm about to start my sermon, cloud, 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 rain, thunder, lightning. There was no canopies. People were sitting on blocks. 400, 500 people out in, in the open. What do you think they did? Yeah, they got up and walked away. So on the spot, we literally had to say, I, I told them, I, I need you to stop. I need you to just wait for a moment. We're going to pray this thing away. I'm like 21. I don't know what I'm talking about. But I said, we're going to pray the rain, the rain away. And sure enough, we, we close our eyes. The moment I started praying, I, I could, I could say, I didn't want to open my eyes because I, I thought it was a picture of my, my, my imagination. But on the spot, I could remember the, the rain just, just decreasing, diminishing. And the moment I said amen, we opened our eyes and the sky was filled with stars. And everyone was like, what just happened? So I'm feeling pretty good. I'm like, I'm going to preach hard, man. Uh, and, and, and I got preaching. I'm preaching three-hour sermons every night. I'm going and going and going until my faith was finally challenged. After a sermon, this elderly woman comes up to me, and she's like poking my chest and saying a bunch of stuff I don't understand. 
She's getting in my face and she's invading my space. She's poking my chest. She's saying stuff and I'm looking at my translator like, bro, you got to intervene right now. And my, my, my translator comes and whispers to me. She says, she's telling you that if this God of yours is real, this God of yours is going to give sight to her grandson who is four years old and has never seen a day in his life. She says that if your God is real, your God is going to give her four-year-old grandson sight for the first time. <laughs> I was feeling pretty good until that moment. So everyone's looking at me, 21 years old, and everyone's asking, okay, pastor, so are you going to pray? <laughs> so I pulled everyone aside, and I told my translator, do not translate this one. <laughs> we knelt down, and my prayer went a little something like this. Bro. Damn. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> help. <laughs> That's all I had. I was like, what do you say? Like, I'm literally talking to God saying, look, I know this is going to be disappointing to her. Please go easy on her somehow. Give her peace because there ain't no way you can do this thing. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. She was so grateful. And I said, Lord, I never want to see this woman again. I came the next day, preached my heart out. Nothing happened. But two days later, two nights later, after my three-hour sermon, she comes up. I see her. She's rushing to me. And there's like this intensity in her eyes. And she's poking at me. And she's poking at my chest, really getting in my face. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, whatever I prayed, like completely even backfired even worse. She's getting in my face. She's getting in my face. She's, she, she's shouting. She's saying stuff I don't understand. And I'm looking around for, my, for my, my, my translator. And all of a sudden, out of the crowd, he heard what she was saying. And he runs to me saying, he can see. He can see. He can see. And out of the crowd comes this little boy that two days before had white stuff over his eyeballs. Now he's walking with the clarity and he's literally rejoicing and skipping and hopping. You see, it was not enough. It was imperfect. It was broken. It was anemic. But I took my not enough and mingled it with his grace and it became strength and no one remembers pastor manny it was for his honor and glory it was for his honor and glory so over the course of this weekend you're going to be looking at some of your not enough you're going to be looking at some of your brokenness some of the stuff you're really good at that you were created and shaped for. And you're going to see that even in that, you're not enough. Even in your strengths, you're not enough. Even in the phileo that you're able to muster up, you're not enough. And hey, that's exactly what he's after. Because as he mingles, you're not enough 
with his abundant grace, you have a strength that is unstoppable and will give him all the honor and all the glory. So loving God, who, whatever that not enough is, we surrender it to you this weekend. Whatever that anemic phileo is, we surrender it to you this weekend, trusting that as you mingle it with your grace, you will turn this thing into a strength that is unstoppable, that will give you the honor and the glory. Ready our hearts, God, for the conversations that we're going to have. Ready our hearts for the workshops. Ready our hearts for the curriculum. Ready our hearts for ideas and conversations, Lord. And as we are challenged on our way back down the mountain, I pray, God, that we may be walking in the strength that is in us, our own brokenness and your perfection. We love you, Jesus, and we're grateful for these moments that we have to spend with you in your word. We praise your name. The only one who is worthy of all the honor is you, Lord. We give you glory today in your name. Amen.